Welcome to the first ever State of Cannabis News Hour interview segment. If you haven't heard our show, we record it every weekday on Clubhouse at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. We have a group of experts in the cannabis industry with a wide diversity of perspectives and experiences. Our show is one hour long. We give you what you need to know with facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. We have an audience of industry leaders that sometimes help us go deep into an article because they are boots on the ground. If you can't make the live show, please catch the podcast a few hours after the show. Now let's get to why you came into this room in the first place. Tim and Taylor Blake. I've known TTB for quite a while. I remember that I had been trying to get a meeting with Tim in what seemed like forever. Finally, it happened. I think it was early September. He and his girlfriend at the time, Sam, were so nice and welcoming. They gave me a tour of their farm and their property. It was amazing. I went to leave and I was about 30 minutes down the road and I get a call from Tim and it was raining and he said, hey, can you turn around and come back and help us with the plants? And I turned around. I think I stayed for two two more days and it was the most incredible experience tying up gigantic trees in the rain with some friends. Uh, man, that's one of the best experiences of my life. And uh, while I was there, Tim told me some stories that just really blew my mind. I realized I was talking to the outlaw governor of the Emerald Triangle. Wow. So I guess my first question is, what the heck is it like to have have Tim for a father, Taylor? I mean, I think my parents are the direct opposite of Tim. What do you think your life would be like if Tim wasn't your dad? Uh, I think it would definitely be more less less exciting, more boring. I was trying to figure out which lane to, to land on that on. Um, it's been it's been really awesome having Tim as a dad. I mean, I think that of the two of us, I feel like I lean towards the more like old lady. Like I almost feel like sometimes we're switched in our um, in our ages, but not from a wisdom standpoint, but just from a uh, rebel standpoint. Like I feel like he's definitely the more rebellious one, and I'm the more reserved, in bed early old lady. Um, but it's been really awesome, and I wouldn't want it any other way. So it's been great. Yeah, you, you're you're lucky. You're a lucky girl, and I'm sure that uh, he's also very lucky to have you as a dad or ha- have you as a, a partner in the Emerald Cup. It's uh, kind of a dream, really, to be able to work with your family members, and you guys have been keeping it going for a long time. Yes, we. Um, my I so I was not actually at the first Emerald Cup. I my first Emerald Cup was in two thousand seven, but I remember I was actually living in Virginia at the time. And when I heard about um, what Tim was doing, and I call I call him Tim, but he is my dad, <laughs> which is always the other funny thing. People are like, "Why do you call him Tim?" Um, but just because when you work together with your family, it's kind of you get in that hang of it, where it's like, uh, as opposed to calling him like dad in like professional setting, I just got in the hang of calling him Tim, and then I got um, that taste of like calling your dad or your mom by their first name um, is kind of a is sort of, sorry, I just dropped my phone. I'm slightly back onto the new to clubhouse train. So I apologize that my uh, clubhouse setting is not that 
fancy at this point, but um, I, I, um, yeah, my first Emerald Cup was in 2007, and it's been really awesome to be on the journey this entire time working together. Um, I don't know if many of you work with your family, but it's such a, it's such a joy, and it's such a like. There's no level of trust that can come in it with a, just working together with someone the same level that comes with working with your parents. So it's been really amazing this whole journey. Tim, did you want to comment on that? Working with your daughter, you're on mute. I thought my clubhouse game was a little uh, rusty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, he's figuring it out. So what was, so the first cup was where? Oh, go ahead, Tim. No, I was. Hi. I'm getting back back on the clubhouse too. I was looking for a Zoom link. I've done so many Zooms over the last few. It took me five minutes to get on because I was on the wrong space. Uh, And then I was thinking about your story. Uh, Susan, that was a really uh, amazing moment for us to get together and go tie those plants up. We really needed you, and we wouldn't have made it without you that uh, that few days. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, so I was just getting my resolution down so I could hear properly and stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I really cherish our, our friendship and the time we've had together and the evolution of uh, the industry we've we've watched follow together too, Susan. It's been amazing. The, the, the question, question the question is what you know. We were talking about what it's like to work with family. Um, it, you know, it blows me away your relationship with Taylor because my my family relationship is not anything like that. Uh, it just must be such a joy to be able to work with your daughter. Well, Taylor and I have a very special relationship because uh, uh, my two other daughters I had at a very young age. So, you know, I was a typical man in his 20s who wasn't quite ready to be a father and had to evolve. By the time Taylor came along, I was really ready to be a, a dad full time. So she was my queenie bee and I used to stuff her in my backpack and take her on all my walks around Santa Cruz and my workouts. And so we we were always very, very close together. So for her to segue into working with me on the cup was just very natural and, you know, it was just a, a wonderful evolution for us. So for for, uh, for having her in the show and my my nephew Chad, uh, really it really makes it a family affair, and I'm really proud of it. People love to see the father daughter element. Yeah, that's great, uh, Taylor. So so your first cup was the second one. Where was the where was the first cup, and and then what was the second cup like? Well, my first cup was 2007, so it started in 2004, and um, I had actually just moved back to California in 2007, and so I did a full term outdoor season up in Laytonville with with my dad, and then um, I attended my first Emerald Cup. So it was quite the quite the year for me, 2007, but um, it gave me such a, the utmost of respect for cultivators. It is truly the hardest job, but most rewarding job, and has like such a special connection to the plant that. I don't think you can get in many other ways. And I, um, but it gave me this really amazing perspective on the cup and what it meant to enter it and what it meant to win it. I actually, um, I actually was, so the, for the first two, three years, I wasn't present at, so Tim can tell you more about those first years, but 2007 was mine first. Tim, do you want to talk about the first couple of years? Oh yeah. The first uh, couple of years were, uh, looking back, it was surreal. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no clue. We were so close. I mean, we knew we could go to prison, but we didn't realize how close we, we really could have gone. And uh, we were just trying to put on a friendly, you know, uh, competition and a celebration of the fall harvest. So uh, the first year was just the flowers contest. A couple dozen people, couple, you know, entered a couple hundred people there. Uh, we were just thankful we pulled it off. It really 
picked up very quickly from there. The second year doubled in size. We put a poster out. We had no information going out about the first one because we didn't want anybody to know. We just called it an underground birthday party. The second one, my friends did a sneak uh, routine. They pulled a concentrate contest in the back room on me. Uh, we weren't going to let the concentrates. Back then it was called hash. We weren't going to let that come in because you could do 10, 15 years in prison. So my, I looked down, my partners were sneaking a concentrate contest on me and I had to kind of just let it go. It was like anarchy with anar anarchy, and that was kind of cool. And the next year, we started bringing the seeds in. Uh, my friend Marv had kicked out Ringo Lawrence because he tried to set up and sell seeds at that uh, at the second one. But we just couldn't do it because, again, seeds were a 10- or 15-year prison sentence. It was enough just to deal with the cannabis. So uh, from there, it evolved very quickly to where Taylor came in. Uh, that that fourth year, a big and one with the PK, and it was a big change because the OGs, the PKs come up here, and it kind of changed the whole uh, dynamic. And then we started bringing in the, the CBD and adding things into the contest, going from just the flowers contest to where we're almost 50, 50 uh, competitions now. What an evolution. And now the DEA is saying that seeds don't have THC in them, so they're they're cool. It's so crazy how far we've come. So, Tim, um, I want to know, you've done so much for the small farmers. I mean, so much, more, in my opinion, more than anybody has. You've done so much for just culture in general, your, your, your work on organics and vegetarianism. You've just been absolutely amazing. But I wanted to ask you about AB 2691 and what it means to our Emerald Triangle farmers. And, and do, in your opinion, do you think that that's going to be enough to save them, the farmer's market model? I know you went to one recently. Yeah, it's going to go, it's going to go a long ways. I've been evangelizing. We went to 10 back then. It was the BCC before DCC meetings before they even put events on the agenda. Uh, when they uh, legalized Prop 64, they had no idea what to do with events. And uh, last year at the at the uh, Harvest Ball, we saw them come in very heavy-handed. And uh, afterwards, we had a long conversation with them. I think there was you know about eight of them on the phone, Taylor and all of us. And we just let them know that uh, direct access for farmers and farmers markets events are critical to the livelihood of small farmers in every industry, every agricultural product. And if they wanted to come in heavy-handed, uh, again, they weren't going to have any events to deal with and no jobs for, for them or for me or for anybody is because it wasn't going to work for small farmers not to be able to display, to, to get dealt with that way and just uh, and whatnot. But overall, for me, you know, I've been in this for my whole life since I was a kid. And so it's not about money to me. It's this is my community. Uh, these small farmers are people that I've, you know, sweated with. We've bled together. We've all been up here doing this for all these decades. And, uh, so it, it's not about a money thing. It's just about, uh, respect and, uh, standing up for, for our community in the hood. So, uh, our small farmers need all they can get. Uh, we obviously, we know what has to happen. We've got to go from 1000 dispensaries to 10,000 again, like we had before 64. We've got to open up interstate. So the Emerald Triangle and these different Appalachians mean more. And we've got to get the consumer direct for the market. So that bill is going to help uh, quite a bit. Uh, it needs to go into effect. We're going to have another farmer's market in Santa Rosa this December to help the small farmers out. Uh, we're doing something. Uh, Danny Diamond from Hall of Flowers did a very nice thing. Uh, the producer of Hall of Flowers uh, called us up and gave us a couple of booths so we could bring four small farmers to the Hall of Flowers for free. Uh, thank you very much for Danny for doing that and letting us uh, and join him. And, uh, you know, we brought uh, small farmers and gave free entries into the Emerald Cup. So 
it's like I said, I'm not here to make money. I just want to make it to heaven and earn my score. So uh, I, I get my ticket to go in. And uh, it's about the things you do here on Earth for the people of this planet and for uh, for all the life on this planet. And uh, so that's that's what I'm about. It's hard to hard to imagine that the DCC didn't understand how important events are, why they needed to do that. Because we were talking to them. We were talking to them constantly. They just weren't listening. Yeah, I you know, I don't want to uh call them out too heavily because we've, we've got to work together uh i do think they made a mistake when they came in so heavy-handed into santa rosa uh they admitted that they should have never been dealing with um, the public or consumers they don't have any rights into that they were even hassling uh you know consumers attendees at the show uh but we are going to go forward together we've got to work together uh they realize it's critical nick smigley uh, put that farmer's market up here in Laytonville. It was a, a critical need for the community. Uh, we need farmers markets in every city in the state. Uh, and it's, it's not just for the Emerald Cup. I'm not doing this for the Emerald Cup because we're not going to put on most of those farmers markets. It's for the small farmers to get direct access to, access to those consumers. So I believe the DCC is going to learn from this and they're going to play much nicer with this and we'll, uh, we'll all work together well in the future. It's 420. Okay, we're going to let these wonderful correspondents have, have an opportunity to ask you some questions. We're going to go in PTR order, so we're going to turn it over to Priscilla. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you so much, Taylor and Tim, for being on here. Always so great to have you guys involved. Um, I have some questions for Taylor, if you don't mind. Uh, so my first question, Taylor, is uh, you are a woman in the cannabis industry behind one of the most iconic industry events. In what ways um, are you opening doors for other women in the space? It's a great question. I think the, um, the best way that you can open up doors is, I mean, in any sort of space in which you have the ability to be more inclusive, whether that be gender, that race, um, sexual orientation, any space of that kind, then I think that that is, that's your duty to, to offer that and, and be as inclusive as you can. And so I think when it comes to like our, our staff, I mean, the majority of our staff are women. Um, the majority of, our um, <laughs> our newer judges, our newer speakers, are women. We try to be as definitely as inclusive to women as we can, and and especially even just from a um, standpoint of historical nature of cannabis. I mean, I think that there's you know you think of like men and and growers and and the cannabis space. You it, being a male dominated industry, but the the beauty of being in the industry is that you see is that there's so many strong, amazing, independent women that are like just embody everything that you would want in this space that are like intelligent and articulate. And, and I think that the, the best thing that you can do is just um, highlight those women and give them the opportunity to really shine. That's definitely uh, a wonderful answer. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. As next generation and leadership for EC, uh, what additional goals do you have or want to implement for Emerald Cup? Ooh, that's a good question too. Um, I think, my, I would love, 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 love to see in the future to do regionals um, for the competition. Uh, it's the one of the more um, hands-on roles that I have in the event is the competition. And my dad and I were actually just talking about this this morning. I have a dream that we are going to do regionals and do like 
you know, Emerald Cup competitions around the country, around the world, and to really bring the message of the Emerald Cup to other places. And as um, being fortunate enough to travel and, and be able to experience events in different spaces, it's so awesome to be able to see these communities and see the products that they have. I was just recently, um, last week, a judge in or maybe it was two weeks ago, time's kind of flying, I guess, at this point. Um, but I was a judge at the National Cannabis Championship, and it was so awesome to be in D.C. and see the type of products that they have. And I just, that would definitely be my my future goal for sure. Well, this is a great question to kind of dovetail off of that. What is your favorite category in the cup? <gasps> oh, it's a hard one. Um, my favorite category, I would say, it's a new category this year, would be beverage enhancers. I, um, that's my favorite way to consume cannabis at the moment is predominantly edibles or consuming. Uh, I also like smoking, but I feel like it's like obviously different moments for different effects that you're trying to desire, but I really enjoy beverage enhancers. I feel like it's a really amazing, um, place in the marketplace, especially for people that don't consume alcohol. I haven't consumed alcohol in over two years. And so I feel like my, most exciting space of like getting people that like are wanting to sort of take a step away from alcohol and have the ability to sort of feel like you're still um, socializing and and inclusive in your drink options. And so I think that beverage enhancers, because it gives you a little bit more control over not only the dosage that you're going to be consuming, but what the mixer is. And if you don't want to have like a sugar, you know, beverage, you can have, you know, just in like a Topo Chico. I feel like that's usually my favorite way to consume beverage enhancers is just pouring something into a uh, Topo Chico. But I feel like at the moment, my favorite would be beverage enhancer. But it's really hard to not say flower because flower is definitely what like would be my, my historical first place choice for the competition would be my favorite category would be flower. But this year I've switched it up and I would say it's beverage enhancer. I love that. I mean, there's just so much innovation that's coming in the industry, you know, specifically with um, helping to replace, uh, you know, alcohol habits and still have that that uh, social experience. I love uh, drinking cannabis as well. And for ladies specifically, it just helps you stay in your heels for that much longer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So my last question for you, Taylor, is uh, when did you first smoke with your dad and what did you smoke? Oh, wow. Um, You know, that's actually an interesting question because I I think that the first time that I could say that we like definitely 100% smoked together was maybe later. I think that I do recall, which is going to date myself a little bit. I do recall when I was like 15, we went to like a a Limp Biscuit concert. (laughs) um, My dad took me and I remember my sister Lindsay was there too. And um, we, I think we all smoked some weed together, but I was definitely like of an age where he was not really super stoked on it, but wasn't like not permitting me to do it. But um, the first time that we like fully, the first time that we fully smoked um and by the way limp biscuit was not my choice i just want to throw that out there i just was there obviously as a 15 year old um but i um i think that the first time that we really smoked was um the year that he came out to visit in virginia he uh, he had this like purple cannabis and i had never seen that before and i just remember being like what is this this is crazy and we smoked it and i had like the best high and it just was a part of that journey that really brought me back to california it was just the overall interest in the plant and um wanting to come back so 
That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I know that we have uh, other correspondents that are eager to uh, ask some questions. So I pass this off to Mr. Brandon Dorsky. Thanks. And thanks again for uh, joining us today, Taylor and Tim. Um, going along uh, with the cup, what's your favorite non-cannabis component of the Emerald Cup experience? Tim, do you want to go well, first? My favorite non, my, yeah, my favorite non-cannabis uh, component is just the culture and, and the people. Uh, getting together each year, seeing the faces. This year at the Harvest Ball with COVID, you know, breaking us apart for a couple of years, it was just amazing to feel the energy and, and look at people that you hadn't seen for a year or two and be able to connect with them. Uh, I just love seeing people come from around the country and feel included in that, that our community really includes people. And so just the inclusive nature of our culture and how we, we're really welcoming into everybody. And if I had to follow that up, I would agree with that first answer that you just said, Tim. But I think that the food... <laughs> definitely um one of the more exciting parts i think as well about the emerald cup is that um a lot of times people don't necessarily know before they get there but um we actually do a food buyout of the fairground so it's not just the traditional vendors that they traditionally have or that you would normally see there we do um a concerted effort to make sure that all the food that's at the emerald cup events are organic and so that means that when you get to walk around and you see all the delicious food items that you at least have the peace of mind to know that they're mostly predominantly organic so they're extra tasty. We we applaud you for your food buyout. The uh, munchies everywhere. Thank you for years and years for that. Speaking of uh, food buyouts and culture, uh, how did incorporating Los Angeles into the Emerald Cup experience uh, impact those things and the cup overall? Well, we're still uh, we're still going through that. When we decided to move from the Emerald Triangle down to Santa Rosa. Uh, it caused quite a commotion amongst the community, and people really felt like we were leaving the Emerald Triangle. After the first year, people realized how important it was for all of them as brands and farmers to get together with consumers and to get acknowledged on a stage in Santa Rosa. So as we went into legalization, I realized that the most important thing was going to be uh, really getting our contestants and our vendors and sponsors in, in front of the largest consumer audience in the state and really in the country for cannabis, which was L.A., uh, and also for the media uh, aspect and promotions. And so it made sense. We took two years. We thought we'd be down in L.A. in 2019 in Long Beach. Uh, we were one meeting, public meeting from being approved uh, and going into Susan's uh, backyard. But then COVID hit. So it took us another two years. Uh, it's been a roundabout way, but we're very, very proud to have connected with the Multivon Theater and Gil uh, Smith, and we're taking the show down there on the 14th. And I think it's very critical to combine the northern and southern parts of the state. We're one very large state. We're really a country. And uh, for all of us to connect up and really realize that we're one community, one culture, and one family, it's a, it's a very good thing to do. So uh, we're very excited about it. We're still going to carry on with the Emerald Cup Harvest Ball in Santa Rosa each year as a farmer's market. And uh, we look forward to uh, growing in LA, like Taylor said, eventually turning this into a, a national competition and then an international competition. Thanks so much for answering that uh, question with so much detail. And talking about going outside of the state, is there anywhere in particular you are looking at to expand first? If so, where and when? Um, and if not, uh, any preferences or ideas of when? Well, the two places, uh, we got invited into Product Earth in England uh, a couple years back and went there with James, and uh, we would love to uh, plant the flag over in Europe at some point. 
probably sooner than that, uh, we've been talking about New York and it coming online and really uh, matching up as an East Coast event for us. We've talked to some event producers that would like to help us do that. Um, and then we've also been offered uh, possibilities to go into Las Vegas, which, uh, which would be a really uh, fun thing to do, too. But the most important thing to us is to get to L.A., solidify um, you know, our position there, to really unify the state and then really work towards uh, making an international show. But uh, most likely it would be uh, New York or uh, Las Vegas first. Well, we've talked Michigan, too. And then going beyond states, is Emerald Cup going to get into the metaverse and NFTs? We've talked about that, too. Uh, there's been quite a few conversations. Uh, I have a friend right now who's really building uh, a system and has talked to us about working up with that. And, uh, you know, uh, we're very open to it. Uh, this is very alternative living that we're going through. We're watching uh, everything in our, our world with, uh, with media and money and everything really change and evolve very quickly. So the people that can evolve and just go with the flow are going to be the ones that succeed over the coming years. So we're going to be very fluid and be open to uh, whatever changes come at us. Thanks so much for answering uh, my questions, Tim and Taylor. I'm going to hand the mic off over to Rico, the dopest dad. Tim, uh, do you or Emerald Cup overall, do you guys engage in any lobbying efforts at the state or federal level? Or are you uh, looking to do so in the, in the near future, if not now? Uh, we've started lobbying uh, boy, for the last uh, 15 years. Uh, I helped spearhead the first sheriff's debate in Mendocino County with uh, Tom Allman and the rest of the, uh, the sheriff's candidates. We did a runoff. We then followed it up with the district attorney debates. Um, I was part of the uh, initial thing with uh, Richard Lee. Uh, going back, that failed initiative, uh, we helped spearhead, and I was part of the original group with Prop 64. Uh, I sponsored AF in Mendocino, which was an initiative for Mendocino County. Uh, I've been heavily involved in the political aspects for the last 14 years, uh, not so much on a national level at this point uh, as involved in the state level. Anybody that spends uh, you know, 10 or more years uh, in service work for activism in any field will tell you it's a it's, it's a very dedicated job you put up a lot of time and energy you're not being paid for it it's a love and it's a service and i'm very proud of the work that i did and what we're doing and we'll continue to do everything we can uh but not at the national level actively as much as the state level i love that and, and I, I think your expertise and what you guys have done over the years would suit the rest of the country well so anytime you're ready to go on the federal side you know, you have a huge fan base down here willing to go to bat with you. So definitely appreciate what you've done so far. And um, I'm looking forward to help you out in the, in the near future, too. Sorry, my little one's over here with the fever. <laughs> Climbing all over me. Um, no worries. Thank you. Another question. Um, which federal politician, if any, do you think uh, have the most sensible approach to cannabis policy today? You want to jump, Taylor, or you want me to go? I would let you take this one gladly. <laughs> You know, I I don't think much of politi politicians much these days, Democrats or Republicans. Uh, I don't think any of them are doing this the right way. Uh, I think that we could have really moved this forward on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, uh, much quicker. And uh, I think it's time for a peaceful revolution and just to you know, take the bull by the horns and get this done. We can't wait for three or four years for these politicians to to play games. I mean, I do think that we'll have federal legalization within two years, but it's all about dividing it up and finding out who's going to tax us more, who's going to regulate us more. 
And I guess I've had a pretty bad taste left in my mouth from the state uh, political legalization efforts. And so I, you know, I used to believe in Gavin Newsom. I evangelized for him. But after 64, uh, I realized that he sold us out. So I, I don't really have any real politicians that I think highly of at this point. Um, so you're, not, you're probably talking to the wrong guy on that note. But I do think we'll get it federally legalized within the next couple of years. But I don't know if we'll get exactly what we want because big corporate interests are going to come in and really dictate a lot of that. I agree with you down the line. On that, you have anything you wanted to add there, Taylor? No, well, I just was going to say I feel like that's the the big piece in the in the um, political sphere of of like we, I just think we all want the the best thing, whether that be from a de- uh, Democrat or Republican or an Independent. We just want um, the best thing for the industry as a whole. Right on. I think that brings us to our big event that we're coming up with uh, uh, next month as well. Uh, will you to be attending the State of Cannabis News Hours Cannabis Summit Ooh. in June? I would love uh, to. Yes, we will. And uh, I, we will be. And uh, I'll give that shout out uh, what you guys have done, what Susan has done and the rest of the team with this is just uh, I hear nothing but good, uh, good things about what's going on in this and what happens, the information is going out and, uh, God, what a great job you've done, Susan. My hat's off to you. Yeah, I was going to just applaud you all because I truly feel like in this space, it can kind of feel like overwhelming at times to feel like up to date or like know exactly what's going on. And so this opportunity in this like place that you've created here is really awesome because it creates this ability for people to tune in, hear things, ask questions. And um, Susan, I've been a long time fan of yours going back to the previous state of cannabis events, but also even thinking back to that like farmer's market that you were part of at at, um, Area 101 back in the day. I just feel like you are such a amazing, amazing woman in this space. So just, yeah, I'm excited about seeing everybody in person. We have such a great team. We've, we've did, we did our 270th episode today and the team is just amazing. Good job. Congratulations, y'all. Appreciate that. And, uh, Susan Nanograms is the foundation and a big ups to everything that she has done over the years and everything she's done for us over the last year as well. We truly have built something special there. And I'm glad to have you guys on with us. Right, um, what do you think regulators in California need to do to adapt and improve their adult use market for operators in the industry? Boy, regulators could uh, stop trying to be so repressive and start helping people. I mean, the point of this is that you know, government is supposed to facilitate uh, the communities and help. Uh, they're not supposed to go after them and repress them. And so um, we need a lot of help. We need to open up the, you know, the retail markets. We need to open up these farmers markets, like I said. We need to open up events. We need to open up uh, these small farmers. Even things like small farmers want to lay their, let their you know, land go fallow for the year, but then they're still going to pay for all their permits. They can't do that. We, we've got to open this up and make this uh, easily accessible for small farmers and product makers. And, you know, I made the mistake of believing uh, Gavin Newsom when he came up here and evangelized for us. And I really thought that there was, you know, there was the real effort on the state to want to protect and help and nurture us. And that just wasn't the case. And it isn't the case now. And I think they'd be just as happy to see most of us go away and be replaced by large corporate interests. And uh, that's not who we are. And that's not how it's going to go down. And and we're not going to allow that to happen. No, we will not. We'll be fighting with you. And I guess that leads right into uh, the next question. What is or are the most important issues we should be focused on collectively as an industry headed into 
2022 elections. You know, uh, Gavin's up for election, but also we have probably the most consequential midterm elections nationwide for our industry as we head into legalization, uh, whatever that might look like on a federal level within the next two, maybe three years max. Well, I mean, for on a national level, it's making sure that it's not about taxation and monies that are driving how it gets done. It's really how do we protect uh, the people that built and nurtured this industry. And it's the same thing on the state level here we have in California. It's how do we save as many of these small farmers as possible, these product companies, and uh, and really make it feasible for them to to move forward. Uh, I, you know what? I, I'm an optimistic person, but I'm also a realistic person. I, I don't think, I think it's too late to save the majority of the the small farmers and product makers, uh, the actions by the state uh, over the last couple of years has uh, really, uh, you know, destined that to happen. But I do think that we can save, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 percent of them. And it's really going to be the actions of the state and the DCC over the next year. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of these uh, farmers markets. If you go to Santa Cruz County, you go to any county, where do most of these small farmers get their sales? They're going direct to consumers and they're getting those sales and it's saving them, it's giving them a livelihood. And that's what we need in every city, in every town, in this state. And we desperately need those retail stores to open up so that there's fair competitive access for everybody to get in there. You know, And then of course, the most important thing is the federal legalization, because that will really help the Emerald Triangle and the Appalachians around mm-hmm. the state. And uh, we just need to get that done very soon rather than later uh, before we really watch too many other people leave the industry. Uh, I love that. And a real quick one here, uh, direct-to-consumer access is something very much needed for farmers in the industry. And um, we were all collectively uh, clapping for that. Um, we've been talking about it for the, the last couple of weeks here on State of Cannabis News Hour. Um, but our industry is very emotional. How can we best mitigate the inevitable friction between retailers uh, who are also hurting for cash and uh, may try to undercut pricing or um, see a lot of back and forth. You might see a lot of uh, back and forth going uh, between retailers and, and the farmers just trying to get their product out there. Best. How can we um, step around that or work best together? Because there's, there's going to be some beef coming up. Well, right. the first thing you got to do is you got to get rid of 280E. Uh, 280E is making it, you know, it's prohibitively, you know, it's just not possible for a retailer or manufacturer. You can't make it without having fair write-offs and, and equal access to the tax codes like every other business in this country. Uh, the 280 thing is just a, an absolute abomination that you've got to stop right now. It's just, it, it has to end for us to even have a chance. And uh, the retailers, look, I understand there's a thousand retailers and, uh, uh, there's a thousand retailers here, and you know they are threatened if we brought nine thousand more in, what that would mean for them on a competitive level. And I understand that, but it can't just be the harbor sides and the big boys that get access because when you have all those small retail shops throughout California, then different um, farmers and different product makers get a chance to go in there uh, and and get their products on the shelves. So, the retailers have to realize that we've got to open it up. It's like liquor stores. You can't have one liquor store in Santa Cruz. You've got to have 10 so that there's a competitive nature to that. And so the retailers are going to have to open up and allow that to come in for the good of all. And, uh, you know, the small farmers are just going to have to really uh, fight to stay alive for the next two years uh, while we get around to this larger retail market and we get to the interstate. 
And just to add to that briefly, I feel like there will be like initially, I feel like there will obviously be tension as there already is between um, retail stores and, and this ability for farmers to be able to sell directly at farmers markets or, or at events. But I feel like the need is there for these farmers markets. I feel like especially from a perspective of just where these um, farmers are so financially uh, facing this uh, ability for them to even maintain their farms that I, I, I think that there will be initial tension. But I think that through that, I think as long as we all look at each other, that we are a community over competition in certain spaces and that it's just you have we're going to have to learn to work together. You know, I agree. I definitely appreciate both of you um, answering the questions for us. And I can't wait to see you next month as well. I'm going to pass it on to our next correspondent, Lara DeCaro. How are you, Lara? Hi, everyone. I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much, Taylor and Tim, for joining us today. And for Susan for having this. Um, she does the most amazing things. Um, thank you again. I, I, I won't uh, take up a lot of time because I know time is getting short. We've got a couple other correspondents who have amazing questions they want to ask of you. Um, so I guess I'm going to start with you know a little bit of follow-up to things that you've already talked about. Um, uh, we're in the middle of the DCC regulatory rulemaking process, right? And Tim, you said a lot depends on what that regulatory body does in the, in the next couple of years. So what, if any, specific action items should people be taking and efforts should they be demanding of the DCC as activists during this process um, in, in, you know, staunch recognition to your advocacy uh, efforts and successes throughout the history of California cannabis. I just wanted to give people an opportunity to learn from you exactly how maybe they should be approaching this issue. Well, we went with the DCC and um, on the event side, it was uh, um, vendors need to be able to display their products. Farmers got to be able to display their products and show them off. They've got to be able to feel comfortable um, using their own uh, cannabis uh, in their booths and not feeling like uh, they're pulling something shady. Uh, you know, Puffco wasn't allowed to do demonstrations uh, with their dab rigs. And it's like, you know, you got to be able to do that to be able to sell things. Uh, there are a number of issues we went, you know, making them agree that they would never interact with consumers or attendees because that's outside the scope of their work. Uh, so there's a lot of things on the event side that we're working with them uh, to clean up. A lot of it was, uh, you know, everybody's got to be on staff and you've got to have all these people in here. There's just a lot of details on an organizational level that they could really make it a lot easier for farmers markets and events like ours to take place. And we're working with them diligently and, and they they want to learn because they realize that, that this is really critical to the industry moving forward. Uh, for small farmers, you know, they got to argue if they want to lay their ground and let it go fallow for a year, they should be free of all, all fees. If you're a small farmer right now, you're paying for the water board, the fish and game, you're paying for your compliance people, you're paying for the state, you got the county people. You got so many people coming at you every day, you don't even know which way is up. And if you're not making any money to begin with and then you don't even want to grow, you should be able to take a year off. And really get that, you know, it's simple. The taxation, the per pound for the, uh, the the tax, that should just be gone. That shouldn't even be just put aside for two years. It should be like every other agricultural product. There is none. There's no just you know cannabis tax that you can go get people on. People are selling sun-grown for 300 pound or you know mixed light for four or five hundred. They're going to pay a buck and a half for a pound for tax. It, it just doesn't work. So the biggest thing we need to get rid of is the. The, uh, the per pound tax and uh, being a let, let farmers go fallow for the year without any bills and letting these, uh, these events come about in a free way so that consumers can have access, 
But then they've just got to open it up and let those retailers come in and let those dispensaries, let, com let comp competition come in and let's get 10,000 dispensaries into this state and let's make it so that everybody can have a piece of the pie. Um, you know, those things need to get done. Yeah, I agree. We need five times the amount of retail or um, access points that we currently have to keep our farmers alive. Uh, so in follow-up to your federal legalization comment, I was wondering what you think, you, what makes you say that federal legalization is going to happen in the next two years? Um, you said that you think that um, you know, we'll get that, but that you also said that California won't let the big MSOs in. So I'm wondering, like, what makes you think that federal legalization is going to happen in the next two years and how it's actually going to look? Well, if you go to pair.org, you can see, uh, you know, Brinks and Molson and all the big boys are already dividing it up. And they're putting $250 million up to dictate where it's going to go. Uh, so you've got that organization. You've got uh, their meeting uh, right now, I think, uh, in Indiana. I'm trying to think of where it is. My friends who are putting a $100 million facility in Mississippi are on the Blue Ribbon Committee that they're meeting on. And they're telling me that it's moving very quickly. It's just, uh, you know, it's all dividing up the pie. Who's going to get the taxes? Who's going to get the regulations? That's what politics, you know, politicians do, right? They fight over their piece of it. So um, I, I think we're going to get it because uh, the rest of the world is moving so quickly that if we don't, uh, we're really going to be left behind internationally with what's going on in South America, Israel, Canada, uh, and Europe and whatnot, even over in Asia. So I think that uh, calmer heads are going to prevail. So where did I go? Uh-oh, Phoebe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I pushed the button and lost myself. Okay. Oh, there, well, we got you. Know, you. I'm, we not got I'm not a technology <laughs> person. They used to laugh when I ran my production studios that I could give Weren't tours. Weren't you in tech? I promised not to touch anything. <laughs> I thought you were in tech for a while or something. Software or something. Uh, anyway. Yeah, no, I was uh, in <laughs> Yeah. We won't go there. That's too funny. Um, but okay, well, I agree. I mean, I think that there's a lot that's moving forward, and we're going to see, hopefully, a lot of that play out at Susan's amazing um, state of cannabis at the summits of the Americas event in June, which I cannot wait for. Um, so, so on this, like, so on this level, I mean, what drives you personally to do all of this? You know, who motivates you? What motivates you? Um, you know, how, how are you inner driven? Is this something that comes to you naturally or are you inspired by external sources or people? I've been meditating since I'm 15. I'm 65 years old. Uh, I've studied every spiritual philosophy that I could get my hands on. Um, I meditate and pray every day. And I realize that we are in a big school here, uh, that we go through reincarnation time and time again till we can grow up and learn how to be enlightened and, uh, and either come back as bodhisattvas or go to other realms to learn more stuff. And so to get out of here and to be successful is to learn how to be compassionate and kind and have empathy towards your fellow humans and to life on this planet. And so I learned a long time ago that that's what I want to do. I want to be a, a really uh, good person and do good for the world and graduate from here. And uh, doing anything other than, than good is not going to work for that endeavor. So uh, I teach my kids and I teach everybody. It's just, you know, um, pray more and connect to God and do good things for people and uh, live a good life. And um, that's what we're here to do. So I mean, everything in my life is driven by spirituality and my connection to, to God. I think that resonates with a lot of people here, just the whole concept of do good, do well by your fellow man. 
Okay, so tell us, um, before I let you go, um, what are your plans for the psychedelics industry? Oh, well, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love psychedelics as much as cannabis, and uh, I've uh, been doing them as long as cannabis since it's 14 years old. Um, Reggie Harris is putting on the hyphy cup he, with his team. They do a great job. It's a psilocybin uh, competition. Uh, they have a testing lab. If Reggie wasn't there and doing such a great job, I would probably uh, be pushing uh, some type of psychedelic cup. Uh, but I'm here to support Reggie uh, and his team there because they're just so amazing. They remind me of myself uh, 18 years ago when they just were fearless and going out there. And in spite of everything, they, they were just going to get it done. So I'm really here to support all the people that are really pushing this industry. Uh, the Emerald Cup is, uh, is a psychedelic party. Uh, every event, we go all night you know, for our after-hours parties. And we'll do the same thing in L.A. this year. Uh, I evangelize for that. Uh, cannabis broke the doors down so psychedelics could come in and uh, really uh, get the job finished. And between the two of them and the rest of the plant medicines, we're going to heal this earth. We're going to reclaim it. We're going to bring peace and prosperity to, uh, to all the people here. So um, I, psychedelics are a major part of that, and I'm going to be supporting them every inch of the way. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks so much. Well, with that, I have no further questions, <laughs> um, but I want to hand it over to my fellow correspondent, Christopher Smith. He's amazing. Um, journalist in the cannabis space. You might have come across each other in the past, but Chris, you want to take it away? Thank you so much, Laura, and thank you, Taylor and Tim, for spending so much time with us today. I so appreciate you and, and everything that you do, obviously, for our community. So I'm going to have a couple of questions that are a little more outside the box. If I were to write an article about you, let's start with Tim, I guess, but both of you, I think I want to ask this question too. Tim, um, you are such an OG in our community, and if I were to write an article about you, what other OGs would you like to have in the article with you, either alive or not, um, people who have traveled with you or not? Uh, what, what, what kind of people would you like to have in the article with you? Well, uh, Dennis Hunter uh, from Canacraft. He's an old school uh, outlaw OG, never backed down, did his time. Uh, he's a stud and a beast. I love and respect Dennis uh, immensely, his partner Ned right there too. The whole Canacraft team, actually. I love the Canacraft team, uh, Justin and Bobby. Just old school guys. Uh, you know, I just can't say enough of them. Uh, Pebbles Trippett, uh, who's, uh, to me, the matriarch of our tribe. Uh, I can't say enough about Pebbles for what she's done on the activism side and the sacrifices she's made in her life to further our movement and what she's done for us. Uh, you know, of course, Dennis Perone, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough of Dennis. I just, uh, you know, I got the uh, privilege and honor to, uh, not only spend time with him, but have him accept the award on the stage for lifetime achievement and get married on the stage. That was a fitting moment. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, Woody Harrelson, we're going to have him come and accept the lifetime achievement award. Uh, Woody's not a cannabis guy per se in terms of the industry, but in terms of what he's done, uh, and for environment, uh, environmental causes and for activism and for and standing up for cannabis. Uh, I have so much respect. I can't wait to spend some more time with Woody. He's just a, just a class uh, guy. And then, of course, my friend Susan there. Uh, we've been rolling for some time, and I have the utmost respect for her and how hard she's worked to, to really uh, to further this, uh, this movement. So I love Susan. I bring her in with me, too. That's wonderful. Thank you. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, Taylor, any other uh, people you'd like to add who have um, uh, been with you on the journey or people you I admire? Was, 
I was going to say there's so many that Tim just said that I don't want to say ditto to. I would have to say, of course, my dad would be 100% involved in that article of whatever it would be. Anything that I have, I feel like my essence, I, I owe so much to him. So I, I wouldn't be able to do anything without him. And um, I would have to say Valerie Corral for sure because she is definitely from Wham. She is definitely a, um, a guide in my life as well that I, I always look to her and, and inspired by her. And then Frenchie. I feel like Frenchie was such like a, a beautiful soul and I got to know him very well as, as he was a big part of the cup in so many ways and I got to know him outside of the cup too and he's just, I truly, truly feel like is one of the, the beacons of light in our industry and still remains that way. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. So this might go a little bit more toward what the Emerald Cup is doing now in terms of categorizing flower, I think. Um, in the cannabis market generally, high THC is all the rage. It's what everybody's always talked about and what the enemies are always so concerned about. So if you have one, what would be your ideal THC uh, level in, a, in flower? And also, what is missing in the conversation when all they talk about is THC? Hmm. Um, well, I think what's so interesting about the development of science and how we identify with cannabis and, and what um, is unique to each of our bodies is that it is so subjective. I mean, what might be the best cannabis strain to me might not be the best thing for somebody else. So I think this idea of high THC equals quality is just severely undermining the, the beauty that is cannabis because it, it is it's oversimplifies her in many ways. And I think that that's what's so great about um, the cannabis uh, or the Emerald Cup as a competition is that, I mean, the highest uh, THC has never won the cup. And that's something that Tim has been saying for a really long time. And it's just crazy that now we've kind of got these categorized systems of uh, these terpene classes that kind of highlight the diversity in, in into a different way besides THC into these um, like cannabinoid profiles that are based on terpenes. And I, um, my, for me, my favorite dream, it always has been this way. And it's so funny because my favorite strain is um, in the pines. It's a, there's this grower that's actually out of uh, Boonville. His name's Derek. He's won the Emerald Cup back in the day, like when it was still at Area 101. And he's just a home grower. He entered last year and won highest uh, terpene content in the entire competition amongst all licensed grows and, and, and personal grow. And um, it's just this like beautiful strain that there's something amazing about it. It has a high awesomine content and um, it is like the most fun high. And my husband, who is a heavy, heavy smoker, is definitely uh, more, consumes more cannabis than I do. He enjoys the, the strain too, which is saying a lot for him um, because usually I feel like we don't really have always the same taste. And so I think it's really cool to see like what people are drawn to and um, when, what unifies us and there's certain things that kind of overlap. And so for me, I would say like, if I had to pick a THC content, I'd say like 16% THC, but high terps. Nice. Tim, anything from you? Yeah. I, I love what we're doing with this. Uh, Mark Lewis and Alec Dixon from ST labs really spearheaded, uh, the evolution of us moving into a terpene profile class. Uh, we, we did that last year and we separated the terpene profiles out, but then we realized that you know, unlike, you know, 60 years ago when it was all specific land race indicas and sativas, it's all been hybrid now to the point where, you know, it's, it's easier to call it gases or sweets or desserts or different things because uh, there's just a combination of terpenes that are coming in. It's not one isolated terpene. So uh, that's been a real educational, fun process to go through. Uh, but the point of it is to really get people to 
think outside the box so they don't just go in there like to the dispensaries and look for the highest THC for the best bang for the buck. They start really thinking about, you know, the terpene profiles and what's better for them. You know, it was at one point it was all gases. If you didn't have a straight OG, you couldn't sell anything. You know, before we had purples for a little while in there. But for a lot of people, older people, women, younger people coming into the industry, uh, they don't need to start off with the highest THC profile. They need to start off with the right cannabinoid profile for them. And so it's really just educating people, which is what we've been doing all the way through with this. It's all about education, inspiring people to find the right medicine for themselves. So it's really a wonderful process. All of our judges have enjoyed it. And uh, the whole community is really enjoying the process of learning together. That's terrific. Thank you so much. So I have a question a little bit out of the box, a little bit of a, a somewhat goofy question. If you could host the Emerald Cup anywhere in the world, where would it be? And options might include the White House, the United Nations, a submarine, a beach in Maui, halftime at the Super Bowl, or a Disneyland. Do I go first, Taylor? I was going to say, I, I could, I have a few, I've, I've, my instinct would be a uh, beach in Maui, but I think that's just my own selfishness of wanting to go to a beach in Maui. Um, I think that um, the White House would be uh, historic in, in many, many ways, uh, and also very well kept lawns in a way that could be great for a large event, um, and also a really huge political statement. So I would personally say... Uh, Maui, but professionally, I would say the White House. Let's go big. Yeah, I think I would join you, Taylor. I would go to the White House. Um, but I also feel very strongly that we're going to have our ET family down here in the next couple of years uh, publicly joining with us. They're the ones that brought us the psychedelics and the cannabis. And uh, I would include them in that. I would say a, a festival festival at the White House with our ET friends being included. <laughs> Fantastic. That would be a guess. Okay, last, last question from me, uh, and I'll turn it back over to Susan, I guess. Um, if you could roll the finest joint ever rolled with any person in history and light it up, who would it be? Any person in history. Oh, wow. Oh, I don't even know who to say. Anybody in history that's like... Um... Well, I'll go first. There'd only be, there'd only be, uh, well, there, there would be three of them, I guess. I would say <laughs> only one, but I would say Jesus and, and Mary, and I would say John Lennon. You could throw Bob Marley in there too. I'd like to do that with Bob. Yeah. Bob. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, no, I was going to say Bob. <laughs> I was going to say Bob. Cause you got to like, Oh gosh, it's just like the, the, like the, the conversation that I feel like would follow afterwards would be like so fruitful that I would, yeah, I would have to say Bob. So I, I stole yours at the end. <laughs> Well, I took four, Wonderful. so that's all right. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> took more than one, so I got to, you just got to give me one. <laughs> so, so you don't want to smoke with Diane Feinstein? Um, maybe, actually, you know what, you guys, I'll take one for the team. I would, I would get her high. Maybe that would do better for us as a, as a civilization <laughs> if she got a little bit high. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Or I'm not Putin. sure cannabis is going to help her. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cannabis would help her. Well, I just want to thank my amazing team. It's such an honor to work with all of you. Um, it's, it's a joy to wake up every weekday morning and, and spend an hour with you. I wanted to leave some time for Tim and Taylor to um, tell us a little bit more about the ceremony that's coming up. We've got the Emerald Cup Awards Ceremony on Saturday, May 14th at the Montauban Theater in Hollywood, California. There's a link up above. Uh, if you want to click on that, go to their website. 
But Taylor and Tim, uh, let's spend about five minutes and then we'll wrap because I know you're busy getting ready for the ceremony. What would you like to leave us with? Well, you know, we uh, we had to pivot some to get to the Maltavon Theater, as we all know, uh, with some last minute changes. Uh, but it ended up working out the best for us by far because we're going in and we're really doing the show we always wanted to do. We're really going to put on the Academy uh, Awards of the cannabis industry at that theater. And it's just built for it. Uh, Gil, the owner, uh, really is excited. James uh, Baker is going to help us. And uh, the people we're talking to are, and the contestants, the judges, everybody's so excited to get a little dressed up and go in there and really put on the show and come in with us. Uh, it's been nothing. I've got Pebbles, Susan. Pebbles is going to drive all the way down there. She can't even walk, and she's going to get in the car and drive down there because she's not going to miss this historical event. And Marv Levin, who did my first shows, and he's had a stroke, and he hasn't been able to get around, he's going to come down there because he's not going to miss it. There's something about what we're doing that's picked up its own level of energy, and people are just excited to be part of it and to really see us get dressed up and really hold our own like the Oscars of the cannabis industry in L.A. And so I'm very, very proud for all of our contestants, our judges, our vendors. It's going to be a wonderful time. Uh, Kat Enney, my manager and partner, she's putting on an incredible event with our team. Uh, we're going from a standing stop in less than 40 days to putting on a private event for 1,200 people. Uh, that's not an easy thing to do on a shoestring budget. We're not selling tickets. We're just going to bring everybody in. And from what we're seeing, it's the hottest ticket in L.A. right now. People are coming at us from everywhere to get tickets to come into it. Uh, Michael Franti is going to come play. Woody Harrelson is going to come accept the Lifetime Achievement. He's going to give an award out. Uh, we got a couple other special guests coming in. And it's just going to be an incredible, incredible event. I don't like to be exclusive. I never like VIP or backstage. I really like everybody to be part of the whole thing. But in this instance, in this year, we can't do it that way. So we're having to invite our judges and the winners and everybody in for a private show. And people are liking it so much that we may end up just doing this in future years and maybe on a Friday night doing the big awards show and then coming back with the event for the weekend. Uh, we're just going to play it by and see how it goes. But uh, I'll turn it over to you, Taylor, and let you close it up. Yeah, I the the one of the more exciting parts and one of the more like heartfelt parts of the entire event has always been for me is when we're on stage and announcing the winners and seeing people when they come up and just seeing the the joy that it brings them and like how how it truly is like it's such a meaningful moment when people win an Emerald Cup and so um, last year when we were uh, we did the digital award show. It was it was super fun and it was quirky and it was awesome and it was really cool to be able to do something and bring it to the community. But it was nowhere near as amazing and um, impactful as an in-person award show. So I'm just so, so excited to be back in person in a theater in Los Angeles together as this journey has brought us to this place. I just, it's going to be really great. It's going to be available for viewing as well if you can't make it to be in present um, on Alter TV after the show. And I just, before we wrap up, I do really want to say a huge shout out to Susan, Priscilla, Brandon, Rico, Laura, and Christopher for having us uh, on the show because it's been super fun to have all these individual questions and, and be able to hang out with you guys. And I just really appreciate all the work that you're doing. And we hope this isn't the last time we're on here. <laughs> have you? I hope we hope you have us back. Yes. Yes. We love everything that you're doing. Tim, you said get dressed up twice. I love that. Yay. I can't wait to see everyone in their finest threads. Tim, Taylor, thank you for joining us today, tonight. And thank you for all that you do. 
you're so important to our community. And I'm glad that this event is going to be about the community that you have nurtured for so long. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Thank well, you. We've nurtured it together. Uh, there's a lot of old school outlaws have been there with us, so thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the first ever State of Cannabis News Hour interview segment. Stay tuned for more and go to theemeraldcup.com. See you later.